Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. So as I get in today, we're going to talk about this. Knowing who people are changes the way you treat them. Knowing who someone is changes the way that you treat them. Uh, for example, one of my best friends, Corey, used to work at Starbucks. Um, Bonnie and I went to school down at Western Oregon University. We were about 15 minutes outside the city of Salem, and my friend Corey worked at the downtown Salem Starbucks. Um, now, here's what you need to know. I'm from Oregon. I can say this. Not a lot happens in Salem. Like, Salem is, there's not a lot going on in Salem. Anybody remember a few years ago there was the Keep Portland Weird bumper sticker? Like, that was the thing, Keep Portland Weird. Salem had a, a sticker too, but it was Keep Salem Lame, <laughs> uh, which was so funny, you know? And, and like, Salem people would own that with pride, like, yeah, that's great. Um, so, you know, Salem had this bumper sticker. So all this to say, not a lot happens in Salem, but one day Corey was working at this Starbucks downtown in downtown Salem when all of a sudden this entourage of people showed up and they were wearing suits and sunglasses and five men enter the building and then someone who looked really important walked in and walked up to the counter and it took Corey a second to realize that he's looking at Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> walked into the Starbucks in Salem, Oregon. <laughs> and uh, Arnold comes up to the counter, and he says, uh, I, I'm going to do my best Arnold impression. <laughs> this is really bad, but he says, uh, Americano, two shots, no top. Like, that's what he said. Americano, two shots, no top. When no top is the best part of that whole thing. So Corey keeps it cool. And he makes his drink, makes the drink, um, and um, you know he 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 makes sure that there's no lid on that because you're dealing with the Terminator, right? I mean, you you cannot mess up on this drink. And so so anyway, so Arnold gets his drink and he sits down at a table all alone, and there's like five guys just like standing around this table. And then one, another employee named Chris comes into the store, and when he sees Arnold sitting at a table. He's like, guys, it's Arnold. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. He loses it. And so the entourage grabs Arnold and runs out the door and puts him into a car and drives off. <laughs> and uh, I guess he was in town. Salem's the capital of Oregon. And this is when Arnold was governor, right? So he was in his heyday, I guess, of importance. And uh, he was there to meet with the Oregon governor, who nobody remembers. So. Um, <laughs> So anyways, all that to say is we kind of act weird around important people, right? We kinda, we, we're not super comfortable around really important people. There's this mystique about them. Like, Corey was super, super careful to get Arnold's drink right. Like, he did not want to be terminated. Like, he wanted to make sure that that drink was correct. And as we continue our series, Jesus versus Religion, I want to ask this really important question. Um, the question is this. How would we treat Jesus if we were sure about who he was? How would we treat Jesus if we were absolutely 100% sure of who he was, if he was actually the son of God? Because I think clamoring over celebrity is one thing, right, and being nervous around a celebrity. But imagine if this morning that Jesus walked into the room this morning. Like, what would happen? Like, would you be nervous? 
or scared. See, I think like a holy fear would just kind of grip the room, right? Drop the mic and probably run and hide somewhere. Just say, Jesus, take over. But see, I'm not so sure that we treat Jesus like he's present all the time. I'm not so sure we do. You know, I think it's easy to go about our daily lives without really thinking too much about him. Like we have our same routine that we do every day, whether it's work or staying home with kids, getting kids to school, coffee, radio, like whatever your routine is, like it's easy to just kind of get locked into that routine and forget that he's there, that he's present with us. And if we were sure that Jesus is who he really said he was, if we were sure that he was the son of God, and we were sure that he was present with us, what would change about how we act or how we live? You know, none of us have zero doubt. Can we say that? None of us have zero doubt. But if we did, if we did have zero doubt, if we had no, no doubt, it would probably change everything. So today we're going to look at this parable that Jesus told uh, to a group of religious Pharisees. And if you're not familiar with the term parable, all it means it's a simple story that conveys a deeper truth. So Jesus tells this story to the Pharisees um, to speak a deeper truth. Uh, the thing about stories is that they go beyond facts. Like you can know facts in your head, but stories speak to your heart. And so that's why Jesus spent a lot of time teaching in story. So if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in Matthew 21, 33 through 45. It's a pretty lengthy passage, so bear with me. We're going to have it on the screen here too, if you don't have your Bible with you. Um, but yeah, it's a little lengthy, so just, uh, just buckle up. It's going to, it'll be good. Um, this is what Jesus says. He says, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other uh, servants, more than the first, and they did the same thing to them. So finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him, and they threw him outside the vineyard, and they killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. All right, so that's a pretty intense story. Um, There's a lot to talk about in there. So first, we have this master of a vineyard. Um, We see that this master took great care in creating his vineyard. Um, He planted it. He put a fence around around it. He dug a wine press, and he built a tower. Like, he designed everything. He created everything. And maybe you can connect with that. Um, who's a project person in here? Who likes projects? On the weekends, like you spend all your time at Home Depot and, and the hardware store. 
Yeah, we like projects. And when you work really hard at something to get something done, like you kind of baby it, right? Like it's kind of your baby. Like we, we had an experience recently. Uh, I call it an experience because I'm not really a project person. And anytime I have to do a project, it takes a lot out of me. Um, but uh, we had this experience where we transformed our yard from this horrible, ugly weed patch uh, to finally like leveling it and planting grass. And it took like all my spare time for two weeks. And if you're around me for those two weeks, I was just talking about it because it was like all I could think about. And, you know, we, we spent a ton of time on it. I, I um, you know, I, I took a weed burner and burned, spent two days just burning weeds, you know. And um, I took, uh, Zach helped me with this. Thank you, Zach, wherever you are. I took seven yards of dirt and just scattered it all over. And then I took a pallet and like leveled it out perfectly back and forth, like all day, like a medieval surf, you know, just going back and forth, <laughs> dragging this pallet. And then, you know, Bonnie, um, Bonnie raked it and planted the seed and then we put hay over it. And now I care more about grass than I ever had before. <laughs> Like, I love grass, I don't know. Like, and it's like, my, I'm a helicopter parent of my yard now. It's like birds and weeds, like I'm angry at them. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it's, it's the most I've ever cared about grass in my life. And, you know, I think in the same way, think about how much more God must care about his creation. You know, he creates this beautiful world. He hangs the stars. He makes the land spring up from water. He makes all these intricate animals. He makes tigers and elephants and even sloths. So that's my favorite animal, by the way, is the sloth. And uh, because it's like, how does a sloth survive in the wild? You know, I don't understand. Like, it doesn't have any defenses. Um, but God created this world and he created us and then he called it good. And, he, and then he created this world and he gave it to us to steward. He gave it to us to steward. And so everything we see and everything we are is this incredible gift of God. Like it's all a gift of God. And so we get to play and work and create in his creation. And so as the story goes on, Jesus introduces the tenants. You know, the tenants are the guys who rent out the vineyard. If you're not familiar with tenant farming, I'm not really that familiar with it. But from what I understand, it's a system where the owner of the farm rents out his property. And, and the way that he's compensated is that those farmers would then give a portion of whatever they raise back to the farmer. So that's sort of that system. And so as a part of his compensation, he would receive something each season. And so that's kind of what's going on in this story. And so the master leaves his farms in the hand of, hands of these tenant farmers, and he is entrusting them with the farm. He's saying like, okay, take care of it. I expect some kind of yield. You know, and this kind of mirrors God's plan at the beginning of creation. You know, he puts a man in there, he has him work in the garden, and, you know, and, and, and then he creates the woman out of man. He says, be fruitful and multiply. So, you know, it's like, you know, working in the garden and having kids. And then when sin comes in the world, both those things become harder. <laughs> working and having kids becomes a lot harder when uh, sin enters the world. And so what happens with these um, tenants is immediately after the master leaves, they decide they want control over the whole thing. Like they want it all um, for themselves. And that's basically like how in our sin, we want control over the things that God's given us. We want to control this life. And so you can think of sin as self-rule. Instead of choosing to live in the, in the system and the beauty of what God created, we choose our own way. 
and to, to do things for ourselves. We want to push God out of our lives so that we can do what we want. So the master here, he sends servants to collect the fruit. And because the tenants want to maintain that self-rule, they, they, the, they beat the servants that come, they kill some, and they stone some. Um, and this happens more than once. And Jesus connects these servants to the prophets that came to tell people to, to go back to God, to like repent and turn back to God. And he's comparing it to how his people killed those messengers because they didn't like what they were hearing. And so finally in frustration, the master sends his own son and he says, surely they will respect my son. Like they must respect my son. And that word respect means to revere, to actually hold him in high regard. Like maybe they didn't listen to these servants, but hopefully, surely they would respect my son. And I can imagine as Jesus is telling the story, like he's a few days away from the cross. Like he's probably filled with emotion at this moment talking to, to the Pharisees who don't even realize really what they're going to do. And so, of course, in the story, um, the tenants don't respect or revere the son. Instead, they drag him outside and they kill him. And they reject the son. And that's sort of this final act against the master. Like, we don't even want your son. Um, and, and they reject him and they kill him. And um, it's, it, that's the depth of the self-rule. Uh, self but I don't think we can just simply um, blame everything on the Pharisees. You know, this isn't just about the Pharisees. It really applies to anyone who chooses to live a life of self-rule instead of following Jesus. Um, it, see, it's sin that put Jesus on the cross. It's sin, our sin is the reason why he had to die. And so self-rule for the Pharisees, it looked like self-righteousness. It looked like working really hard in a religious system to gain superiority, to gain recognition, priding themselves on their activity instead of a relationship with God. But self-rule in, in, in our lives might look really different. It might just mean being super independent, not needing anything, not needing God, doing what we want, living for wealth, living for comfort, living for whatever health, uh, whatever you know, we um, truly worship. Um, but we all have a decision to make when Jesus shows up in our lives. See, the tenants were just doing their own thing, and all of a sudden the sun enters the scene, and they have a decision to make. And so that's something that we have as well. We all have a decision to make. Um, what will we do with Jesus? Like, that's the question of our lives. What will we do with Jesus? And for them, they had the choice to recognize who he was, to revere him, or to resist him and reject him. And those are the two options this story gives us. Either can, we can recognize Jesus as the Son of God, or we can resist him and keep doing our own thing. But I think we live in a world that might see that and say, that's way too simplistic. That's, that can't just be two choices. Uh, it seems too simplistic, because there's a phrase out there today you hear everywhere, and it's live your truth. Anybody heard that phrase before? Like, that's sort of the world we live in. It's sort of like live your truth. It's not about living the truth. It's about living your truth. And many in our culture would say we live in sort of a post-truth age. And so the best we can do is define for ourselves what the truth is. You know, there was a German philosopher named David Frederick Strauss who said this. He said, the world is ultimately what we say it is. And I think for a lot of people today, that's how they live. You know, the world is ultimately what we say it is. And because this thinking is so strong, I mean, I think we all have to ask ourselves, am I living for a truth that I created, 
Or am I living for a truth that I sought out for myself? Did I seek the truth or did I create the truth that fit my narrative? You know, I know there are a couple pilots in the room. Um, I won't, so I pointed one out, sorry. <laughs> um, so if I'm flying on a plane, I wanna make sure that my pilot is following the right way and not just his or her own way, right? Like I wanna make sure that that pilot is like adhering to all whatever the FAA has sent them. Um, you know, I don't want them to just like get up in midair and be like, you know what, I'm gonna do it my way. I'm tired of this FAA stuff, like I'm just gonna do my thing and just start do, messing with instruments and whatever. Like I want the pilot to know the right way to go, right? Like, because my life depends on it. And in the same way, God's not trying to leave anyone in the dark when it comes to who he is. God isn't trying to withhold who he is from anyone. He, on that, he's very clear. And I wanna share this, um, share this verse from Hebrews 1, 1 through, uh, 1 through 3. I'm using the NIV translation. But basically, God's been revealing himself for a long time. And this is what he says in the beginning of Hebrews about, about how he reveals himself. He says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So this is how God has chosen to reveal himself. As Jesus, in the flesh, given for us. And see, God had always been revealing himself to his people. He did send messengers and he sends prophets. But in these last days, what the Bible is saying is that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God to us. And so we have to figure out what we are going to do with that. You know, Jesus warns the Pharisees. He says he's the stone that people are going to trip over. He says he's what people are going to trip over. Ultimately, people are going to trip over Jesus, who he is. He's the stone that the builders reject, but he says he's become the chief cornerstone. And what Jesus is saying is, I am the stone that all truth is built on. All truth is built on me. And he warns them that the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And so God has revealed his truth in the person of Jesus. And Jesus even said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the stone that we trip over. And obviously, we all wrestle with Jesus's identity. Like, I grew up, I didn't just grow up in church. Like, I went to Christian school. And I remember sitting through different people talk about Jesus and, and all this. And I think for 75% of the time, I had trouble believing them. I didn't really believe them. Actually, I got pretty cynical. <laughs> about like, no, this is, this is me. There's gotta be other, other things, other ways. Um, you know, I definitely did my fair share of snickering in church, you know? And um, it wasn't until I sought out Jesus for myself, when I looked at his word, and when I experienced him, that I realized, man, this is actually true. Like, this is true. And so what my challenge to all of you is not to create your own truth, but to seek the truth. Seek the way, seek the life. Because today, we kind of want to do whatever we want to do, and so a lot of times we'll just fit Jesus into whatever box we want to fit in, one that matches our experience, instead of seeking him out as God and asking him, who are you, instead of defining him for ourselves. 
And so this is the, this is the, the, why this passage is so important. Because this passage shows us why recognizing the real Jesus matters. And it's this. Recognizing Jesus is the difference between a fruitful life forever and experiencing God's judgment. And that's what this passage teaches, is that Jesus is that dividing line between a fruitful life forever and experiencing God's judgment. He's the dividing line between heaven and hell. He's the stone that people trip over, or he's the savior that people embrace. And that's hard to handle in a, in a live your truth world. You know, like, it's hard to, to wade through. I mean, many people would say that's foolish or simple thinking, to just think it's one or the other. And that's something that you're going to have to decide. Is that something you're okay with? Are you okay to, to live with Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm not going to pretend that it doesn't cost you. But let's be clear. I want to be really clear about what this passage is teaching. It's teaching this. It's teaching that resisting God leads to rejecting Jesus, which leads to God's judgment. And that's the pattern we see, that resisting God ultimately leads your heart to reject Jesus, which leads to God's judgment. See, we have tenants who keep resisting the master, and their ultimate act of rebellion is to kill the son, to, to say, nope, we're, we're definitely going our way. We sent the son. We're going to kill the revelation of God. And so Jesus doesn't judge right away. He has the Pharisees draw their own conclusion, like logically. He puts the ball in their court, and he asks them, what will the master do to those tenants? And the Pharisees, not realizing that this story was about them at all, you know, they said, well, he's going to put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will actually um, give him the fruits of their season. And Jesus, Jesus didn't say that, but they did, right? They're just, he's just playing out the logic of the situation. And the sobering truth is that there is judgment there for people who ultimately reject Jesus. And Peter, um, Peter Kreft put it this way, and I like this quote a lot. He said, if your life is Christ, then your death will only be more of Christ forever. But if your life is only Christlessness, then your death will only be more Christlessness forever. And he says, that's not fundamentalism. That's just the law of non-contradiction. That's just playing this thing out. And friends, if we believe that, man, it is so important that we grab onto Jesus more than ever. It is so important that we tell other people about life in Christ more than ever. If we truly believe what he says, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, it's really important that we hold that out for people and that we don't shy away from conversation. It's important that we shine that brightly so that people would be attracted to having Christ and not Christlessness. And Jesus says that he's going to take away the kingdom of God and give it to a people who are producing his fruit. He's going to give it to people who actively want to follow him. He's going to give the kingdom to those who would chase after him and grow in his love. And so in contrast to the people who resist, this is the progression we see for those who recognize Jesus. Is that recognizing Jesus leads to receiving Jesus into your life, and that leads to a fruitful life forever. That's the hope of the gospel. When we recognize who Jesus is, then we receive him into our hearts, and he does the work. Like, he changes us inside and out. And that's how simple it is. But it, it takes that giving up 
of our self-rule, us defining the terms, us doing everything our way, and opening the door for Jesus to take over. And we will experience a fruitful life when we walk closely with him. You know, he is the life, which means he pours life into us. And it's important to know that Jesus doesn't want you just to believe in him so that, that you avoid hell. Like, Jesus wants you to believe in him so that you can live for something that matters and live a life that's full of fruit. Um, Jesus changes lives. You know, when we lived in Portland, I had a friend named Michael. Michael was a rapper. Um, Michael grew, I know, you probably don't assume I would ever hang out with rappers, but <laughs> I'm so diverse, you know, no, kidding. Uh, no, but Michael was, was a rapper, and he grew up in, in a rough situation. Like, his dad was, struggled with addiction, and um, he grew up in a house with no boundaries. So he was trying everything. He was partying all the time. Um, he was sleeping with whoever he wanted to sleep with. And, he, you know, he's just kind of absorbed into this hip-hop scene, hip-hop culture. And then he moved to Portland, and for whatever reason, he just realized that something was missing from his life. Just like, man, there's, there's a hole here. Something is missing from my life. And so he started to attend this large church in town. He started hearing sermon after sermon talking about who this Jesus person is. And he realized, that's it. Like, that's what I need. I need Jesus. And so Michael changed his life, and his life went from being unfruitful and selfish to being fruitful for the kingdom. Like, I've never met someone with more joy than Michael. And I think it was just because he was grateful. Like, he was free. And uh, he used his talents to start up a little um, Christian record label in Portland. And I would hang out with him sometimes. He'd be like recording guys like in his apartment, you know, just like egg cartons and all this stuff going on. And but he was like preaching the gospel to the hip hop scene in Portland. You know, he brought in all these Christian guys and they were just making this great stuff. And so God changed his life from being about himself to being fruitful for his kingdom. And, he, and it's not that God told him to leave hip-hop. It's like, no, I'm going to actually redeem that. And you're going to use this to reach people for me. And, um, you know, what I, what I got out of that is just that my, God can turn any life around. Anyone who's willing to follow, God can turn any life into a fruitful life. There's no one's sin, there's no one's weakness that is stronger than Jesus' ability to change the life. Change your life. Like, nothing can hold you back. Nothing, Bible says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Like, there is nothing that can stand in the way of God's love changing us when we accept him. There's no story so dark that Jesus can't enter into it and make it beautiful. There's no story dark enough that Jesus can't take. And so wherever you're at, I just want to invite you to experience the fruitful life. Say yes to the fruitful life. You know, or see if he is the way. Maybe just change the way that you're looking for truth. Instead of trying to create your own, seek out what is the way? Like, who put the universe together? How does this all make sense? Um, Paul said in Romans 1.16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I thought about that first part of that phrase, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. See, believing the gospel and touting the gospel can make us look foolish and simple to suggest that there's one way or the other way. It can make us look foolish and simple. And then Paul comes to the conclusion, he says, you know what? 
I'm not going to be ashamed because I know the power of it. I know that the gospel is powerful and I know that it can change lives. So I don't care what people say, like I'm going this way. And uh, I want you to take hold of that gospel today, to take hold of the power of God that's available in Christ for your life, to tell God, I want the fruitful life. I want the fruitful life. You know, I was a little, um, it's cool how God sometimes reminds you of how awesome the gospel is just at, at different times. And I was um, just doing dishes this week, and I was listening to this song, and I don't listen to gospel music, but I was listening to this gospel song. Have you heard the song, I'm free? Like, I'm free, praise the Lord, I'm free, no longer bound, there's no chains holding me. And there's just something about that. Like when we walk into life in Jesus, we're free. We are free. And so that's the question for you today. What will you do with Jesus? Will you reject him or will you receive him? Because wherever you're at today, whatever you're struggling with, I want to invite you to be free. I want to invite you, and maybe, you know, sometimes us who have been walking with Jesus for a long time need to be reminded of that more than ever. Like, oh yeah, I'm free. I forgot. I forgot that I'm free. But you are. In Jesus, you are free. His grace will always be sufficient for you. His arms will always be outstretched. So my encouragement for you today is to come home. Let's pray. Jesus, so great to be here, Father. It's so great, God, what you do, how you set us free. And Lord, sometimes looking at the gospel is challenging, but at the end of the day, Lord, you, you do set us free to live how you want us to live. So God, I pray that whatever doubt that we walked into, or walked in here with, I pray for whatever pain that we're carrying around. I pray for whatever confusion that we're facing right now. I pray that the truth of who you are would help clear it up for us. I pray that the, the truth of Jesus, the, the person of Jesus would be made abundantly clear in each of our hearts, that we would have no doubt who our Savior is, that we would have no doubt who our Lord is, and there's nothing that anyone can say that can make it come true, but I believe that your Spirit can make that come true in our lives. So, Lord, and, and as we believe that your spirit is here with us, I pray that your spirit would just touch hearts this morning. All the hurting places, all the broken places, all the confusion, all the doubt, God, would it vanish in the security of knowing you. And, Lord, if we're wrestling, if we're wrestling on whether or not to say yes to you, I pray that you would make yourself clear, God. Give us a peace to say yes. Jesus, we are thankful, God. I pray that this week that we would be filled with your spirit. I pray that we would walk in victory, that we would walk free, that we wouldn't walk burdened, that we wouldn't walk just stressed out, but we would know that you give victory to every part of our lives. Even when the storms come, even when life feels like it's falling apart, you, give, you bring hope and joy and life and freedom. So Jesus, I pray for that this morning for each one here. May we experience that in Jesus' name. Amen.